As a medical professional, you're probably consumed by your work. Because of that, you likely miss out on big opportunities to protect and grow the wealth you work so hard for. Luckily, through passive real estate investing, you can place your capital in the hands of trusted syndicators who do all the legwork while you sit back and let your money work for you. Syndicators like Ascent Equity Group. Ascent Equity Group is led by three medical professionals turned full-time real estate investors who have secured a quarter of a billion dollars in assets in just three years. And their latest opportunity, Sunrise and Chandler, is open now. Sunrise and Chandler is an exciting 177-unit value-add multifamily opportunity in the affluent city of Chandler, Arizona. This Class B asset in a Class A location was secured at a significant discount and is already cash flowing out of the gate, with 89% of the units still in need of renovation. Sunrise and Chandler is close to meeting its capital raising goal and will be closing soon. So if you'd like to learn more, visit ascentequitygroup.com forward slash best deal to schedule a call. That's A-S-C-E-N-T equitygroup.com slash best deal. This opportunity is open to accredited investors only. Quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to bestevershow.com. You just got to be on top of your game. Don't leave anything kind of out in the open and playing catch up. Get on top of it. There's enough education out there. There's enough to learn out there that you know all the process of what you need to be doing during escrow. Welcome to the Best Ever Show, the world's longest running daily commercial real estate podcast. Our hosts interview commercial real estate experts every day to get you the best advice ever with none of the fluffy stuff. Hello, Best Ever listeners. Welcome to the Best Real Estate Investing Advice Ever Show. I'm Ash Patel, and I'm with today's guest, Pasha Esfandiati. Pasha is joining us from Los Angeles, California. He is the founder of Evoke Capital, which focuses on value-add mobile home parks. Pasha is GP on 550 units, lots, or doors between apartments, motels, and mobile home parks. Pasha, thank you for joining us, and how are you today? I'm doing great, man. Thanks for having me on. It's our pleasure. Pasha, before we get started, can you give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and what you're focused on now? Sure. I'll start a little bit of ways back because it's pretty unique. I didn't go the traditional route of every, everyone else going to college. I quickly dropped out of college realizing it wasn't for me, just given my ADD and whatnot. I actually ended up playing poker professionally from ages of about 20, but technically 21, I have to say. 21, about 25. And that's probably because my brother's a really big name in the poker world, one of the winningest poker players in the world. And I just said, if he could do it, I could do it. And man, back then, you can make money off of anybody. But as the game got tougher, as I got older, I transitioned to this thing that I knew I always wanted to be in, which was real estate. So in about 2011, I flipped my first actual mobile home in a park, sight unseen from an auction. And then I just kind of taken off from there, ended up doing about 50 flips in the next three years, moved to Los Angeles, flipped one house here, realized I was a really, really small fish in a massive pond in Los Angeles. And then I went with there was a little bit less competition, which was development. Even though I've never done it before, I just kind of dove in head first into do it. I ended up buying a lot of land north of downtown Los Angeles in an area called Highland Park. And I've been developing ever since on there. Transition into multifamily and mobile home parks now strictly about, I want to say 16 months ago. And now with my units and the syndication deals that I'm doing, we're almost at about a thousand units now total. 
So many questions. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Let's man. go. A lot of Let's ammunition. Go. All right. The question that I have to ask mm-hmm. is what poker experience helps you in real estate, both in terms of reading people and risk assessment? Yeah. In the terms of reading people, I think that's something that just gets drilled into you when you're a poker player because you're always constantly saying to yourself, what's the information that's good that you're getting from somebody? What's the bad information? What are they trying to lie to me? So I typically, I feel as though at least I have a pretty good sense in all negotiations and what brokers are telling me, what I can get away with and really what to say and what to do. I think negotiations are probably some of my strong suits on that realm itself in comparison to reading people. And then there's a lot of other things that get translated very easily from poker into real estate. One of them is, I call it game selection. Game selection being essentially, I'm not the best poker player in the world. I've never tried to be the best poker player in the world. I just try to get into the easiest and best games for me to win some money at. I never really cared about being the best. And for me, how I relate that into real estate as well, essentially, what markets do you want to be in? What niche do you want to be in? And I think that led me into my mobile home park buying now because there's less competition, higher yields than competing with everybody else. So trying to get into the judges game in rounders. Exactly. That's we can make a lot exactly of rounders right. references. We'll, we'll try to refrain from that. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. And I'll try to make this last question on poker. Such Anything an interesting correlation. Do you ever try to capitalize on that and make yourself stand out? Because everyone's enamored by poker players at your level. Mm -hmm. So do you ever try to play on that experience? I don't really. I don't know. I think some people look at it however they look at it. It doesn't really bother me. No. It's interesting. It used to be, I'll tell you, Ash, something that used to really make me insecure, truth be told, because I didn't go to college and I, I held myself small compared to other college graduates or people that I perceived to be smarter than me or whatnot. Like I was a poker player trying to start a business and I don't know how to do it. But the cool thing about it is, again, like a lot of things do translate in poker, you have to be consistently getting better. You always have to learn. And same with real estate, having all of these podcasts and having all the education at your doorstep or technically the internet, you just are able to learn. And I've, I've had to be able to do that, but I got that mentality from poker. So although that I think in the past, it held me back. It has definitely become a superpower of mine, essentially just learning how to and how to scale and how to grow quickly and massively. And an enormous amount of patience. Yeah, you have to have a ton of discipline. That's by far, and again, another way that translates, it's you have to be disciplined and some of the best properties are the properties you walk away from. So a lot of properties are very close and we might be cool to go buy it, but man, I'm conservative and I like being disciplined and you learn that in poker. Because if you try to overshoot something, you're going to get buried. All right. So let's draw on that correlation between discipline and gambling. You fixed a sight unseen mobile home. Who does that? (laughs) Me. Because I just like to jump straight in. Now, what I will say is going back to the education piece, I was lucky enough to go and intern for a close family friend of ours. And I essentially gave three months of my time and I just went and worked for him and I learned everything from him. I didn't ask for a dollar. I just knew the education was really important. So he taught me everything he knew about buying properties from the auctions. And then I just went and replicated that into my own life. And in that one mobile home, I made every mistake, but I still made three grand. And I was really happy about that, that I didn't lose any money. 
And I got the bug, man. I just went for it. How much was that purchase price? That was about 50,000 or 52,000. Okay. Yeah. And what did you run into on that flip? Oh man. I remember the funniest part of it. I didn't know anything about landscaping. There was something that was sticking out of the thing. And I, I ended up hiring a landscaper to do everything on there just because I thought something was wrong and it wasn't getting watered right. And I ended up just realizing later on, that was just like a little hose that you water the plants with. And I thought it was something major. So now realizing that I spent way more money than I should have in that property. I also wanted to scrape the popcorn ceiling instead of redoing the kitchen for some reason. In a mobile home. In a mobile home. Yeah. Makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It just goes to show you, you can make a lot of mistakes, but I bought that property at such a good amount. I waited very patiently to buy the right property. So I made all the mistakes and the people who were buying it from me, they were representing themselves and they knew what they were doing, man. They got away. They were like, well, you know, the roof is kind of messed up in this one spot. So I want like a $3,000 credit. I was like, yeah, sure. No problem. <laughs> <laughs> so what is it? Because you've done a lot of flips. What was it about mobile homes that attracted you? I think my life has changed. I really wanted to create more passive income than I wanted to keep flipping because what flipping and developing, it's a lot of restraint on your money. It's a lot of expelling of it. So you're just kind of bouncing one property to other properties and multiple properties. So I just wanted something more steady because I want to create a family soon. And I always got into development and flipping, then go buy apartment complexes to get into passive income. And so I just decided this was the time and for me to go create it. It was more of a life decision than anything. And you've done apartments, motels, and mobile home parks. That's correct. If you had to pick one, what's the best asset for you? Mobile home parks for sure. But I really do love motels and hotels. And I do love that model. Pasha, how long have you been in the mobile home space? A little over a year right now. Okay. There's a lot of competition coming in now. I know. How do you deal I, with that? You just attack it like anything. You just attack it. You play game selection on this one, right? So once I bought my first mobile home park, because as we all know, cap rates were compressing and I just wanted to go where there was higher yields. I got really educated on mobile home parks. Once I bought my first mobile home park, comparing it to my multifamily and my apartment complexes, which I bought at a great rate, it was yielding higher, if not more and a lot easier. And I said, well, there's something here. And there's going to be a lot of money that's going to be happening. It's just natural progression of what's happening in the multifamily space. Cap rates are compressing, squeezing people out. They're going to go to other assets, RV parks, mobile home parks. And I just said, whoa, I'm still dealing with mom and pop sellers. And there's a lot of inefficiency there. So let me go to attack this as fast as I can, as hard as I can for the next few years, at least. And do you work solo or do you have a team? Yeah, I have a team. I have a team that I've built out for sure. I need a team to help me out. Okay. So what do you guys do better than your competition? I think we're absolutely hands down better at operations. We're just super efficient on our operations and we're able to identify a lot of inefficiencies in the operations. We do not attack huge value add. We do attack high occupancies. We love to operate in secondary and tertiary markets because as you know, mobile home parks is a non-transitory tenant base. So when you learn that, you're able to really make the paradigm shift between apartment complexes, how to identify markets. So we are dealing with a lot of inefficiency of operations right now. What are some of those inefficiencies that you see? Look, most mom and pop sellers, the ones that we're dealing with are scared to raise the rents or lot rents to where markets should be. They don't know how to build back the tenants. They're just afraid of their tenants really 
pushing it to where the market should be. That's really essentially what's happening here. What are your biggest value add components? I think really just getting rents up to a, a reasonable market rate, but to really just go in and do the infills. Infills take a lot of time and talk one of my team members time. That's really hard to identify these properties. But once you get a mobile home in and you're able to renovate it and then do an RTO contract, which is a rent to own, you really are making a lot of value, especially with the cap rates being where they're at right now. You guys self-manage all of your parks? Absolutely. Do you have on-site managers or do you just have your superstar tenant take care of things? Yeah, we always have on-site management. It's usually a mix. Depends on how big the property is itself. If it's 20 units or 20 lots, we'll just have a tenant that is our eyes and ears and we'll get everything else out. On our other properties, about like 150, 160 lots, we all will have on-site management there where we manage the manager. And right now, when everybody is trying to court these mom and pop sellers, not even sellers, owners, how do you get a competitive advantage in getting them to sell to you? Brokers. Everyone is targeting mom and pop. I'm sure there's doing a ton of off-marketing campaign. We do not do that. We just go and we really get in there with the brokers. And time and time again, they just see how professional we are. And we've gotten that feedback numerous times. Like, wow, you guys are really professional. We try to alleviate every problem a broker has and make it so streamlined. And we always do what we say. So we now have a handful of brokers that work directly and only with us, not only with us, but they send us their listings first because they know we will close. They know that we're professional and we know that we're very detailed. Pasha, when some of the best ever listeners hear this, they're thinking, all right, you're already established in this space. You guys are rock stars. If I want to get into mobile home parks and I find a broker that's got a 20, 30 unit property, how do I build credibility with that broker with no track record? I think it's having conversations with them. I'm such a believer, Ash, and just telling him, hey, this is where I'm at. This is essentially the first property I'm buying, but I've closed here before. This is my experience, or I have this partner. Like We will get it done and just open communication with them. Brokers are willing to help you because they want to have the sale as well. But also, it's on you to have the education and learn how to do this. But you just got to be on top of your game. Don't leave anything kind of out in the open and playing catch up. Get on top of it. There's enough education out there. There's enough to learn out there that you know all the process to what you need to be doing during escrow. I like it. So really just have a narrative. Tell your story. And important, I tell a lot of best ever listeners, when you go to apply for a loan on a commercial property, have a narrative. Even if the okay. numbers speak for itself, tell the story because your lender has to go to a loan committee and let them share that narrative with everybody else instead of, Here's the deal. Here's the numbers. Do we approve it or not? I love yeah. that advice. So always have that narrative. Tell your story. You mentioned you bought a bunch of land. Where'd you get the money for that? That was from all my flips that I was doing. Okay. Yeah. And what did you do with the land? Essentially, I identified an opportunity when I first moved to LA. I still have about 16 parcels of land in Highland Park. But back then, it was really easy, in my opinion, to identify where the migration and the next explosion in LA was going to be. Because at that time, when I moved to LA, downtown LA became super, super expensive. And it blew up new development, prices went astronomical. And in LA, no one really wants to keep moving east. No one wanted to move south. And then west was already way too high priced. So up north of downtown was this beautiful area, Highland Park in Mount Washington that had views, 
that was an area that's gentrifying with some land that was still available to go build on. Now they're all like essentially hillside, but they're buildable sites. And I was able to pick up these for 25, 50 K back then. Now each of those plots are worth about 250,000 really understanding what's happening on a big macro level and be able to get ahead of that is really just an awesome game to play. We'll get back to the show with the first some sponsors I'm confident you'll find value in learning more about. When it comes to scaling your real estate business, is lack of capital holding you back? Raising private capital on demand can be a major challenge, but you can get the knowledge and tools you need to succeed when you attend Dana Cornell's four-week Raise Capital Masterclass Live. After starting out with no capital or relationships, Dana has raised over $1 billion twice in the past 20 years. And he has made it his mission to share the best of what he's learned with business owners and investors like you. You can learn more at danacornell.com forward slash best ever. Dana's Raise Capital Masterclass Live allows you to immediately unlock and raise capital on demand, drastically increasing your business's growth. If you're ready to take your business to the next level, go to danacornell.com forward slash best ever to enroll today. Are you a real estate investor looking to break in the multifamily? Have you heard of MFIN Con happening in Charlotte, North Carolina, June 23rd through 25th? The Multifamily Investor Nation Convention is a place to learn from high-level apartment investing experts while networking with over 700 investors. If that's not enough for you, Shaq, yes, Shaquille O'Neal, Barbara Corcoran, Jocko Willink will be there as well. Be sure to secure your tickets at mfincon.com to find out more. VIP ticket holders can rub shoulders with these high-level speakers after their sessions. For details on sponsorship opportunities and tickets, visit mfincon.com. Use the promo code BESTEVER and get $200 off your tickets. That's mfincon.com. Promo code best ever. Pasha, your experience in the motel business, is there a good story behind that? <laughs> there is actually. <laughs> Let's hear it. Uh, I didn't want to be in the motel business originally. I had called a friend that I had met actually at a Tony Robbins Fiji. We were in Fiji. We met him at a seminar there. And I was talking about how I wanted to get into multifamily and I was thinking about it. And he, at the conference, essentially pitched me to buy a motel with him. I said, no, I don't know anything about motel. I know the area. It was on Fremont Street. And I was like, eh, I don't really want to be there. And he ended up closing on it, but we ended up remaining good friends and developed a relationship. I ended up calling about a year and a half later after he bought that motel with other partners. said, hey, I want to buy like a 30 unit in Las Vegas. I know the area. You're a broker. He goes, hey, I have a motel. Do you want to buy it? He goes, it's 30 units. I said, no, I do not want to buy it. And he was really persistent and it was quite interesting. And I said, no, I don't want it. He goes, Pasha, you really need to come to Vegas and check out my other motel. This is a gold mine and you're missing the point. You need to just come here. It was very persistent. So I went there. I was like, what is this? The parking lot is empty, showing me his numbers and what he's done with that motel right down the street. And I was like, whoa, I was really impressed. So then I started really digging in. I said, oh, there's a lot of potential here. So We bought that motel about now almost two and a half years ago. We survived COVID. We survived a bunch of renovations and all that. And we've essentially a little bit more than doubled the value of that motel now. Good that he twisted your arm to go to Vegas, huh? Yeah, very much. I'm very happy about it. And are you going to keep that motel? I'm actually going to sell it to him. He's going to buy it for me. And then I'm going to essentially put that money more into more mobile home parks. 
Pasha, is there a certain metric that you look for in mobile home parks? So I know a lot of multifamily people, they do price per door and that's their gauge on if it's a good deal or not, at least off the very beginning, right? Is there an immediate metric that you look at on determining whether something is a good deal or not? Yeah, I have a team that analyzes deals for me. I think my biggest thing is where's the growth? How much growth can I have? For me, it's about what is the market rent outside of a mobile home park? Because there's such a need for low-income housing by far. So I look at what are the market rents and what are my lot rents? Obviously, I look about a per lot price, but it's essentially is where the market rents out. What can I push my rents to? And is it difficult getting lending on mobile home parks? Yes. (laughs) It is more difficult to get lending on mobile home parks than it is multifamily. Now, let me break that down for a little bit, expand it. So there's a thing called tenant-owned homes, and then there's a thing called park-owned homes. Tenant-owned homes is where they own the mobile home, and then we just own the land. And then park-owned homes are where we own the mobile home and the land. Banks do not lend on income coming from park-owned homes, only the lot income that's coming in, right? It breaks it out where we charge a lot rent and then we charge a rental fee for the park-owned homes. So if there's a mobile home park that you're trying to buy, lenders will not lend on park-owned homed rental income. So it does make it a little bit more challenging because a lot of parks are primarily more park-owned homes because you're technically going to get more rent. When you have a tenant in a park-owned home, you obviously want to convince them to do a rent-to-own. That's correct. What if they're like, nah, man, I'm good. I'm going to just keep paying rent. I like this. It really depends on the situation. We're not looking to be savages and kick people out. I think there's some operators that can do that. We try to give ample pie and we try to work with any tenant and it really just is a case by case basis. But yes, the general overview plan for us is always to get them on RTO contract. And if they're just not willing to budge at all, this is the coolest thing about mobile home parks. We're inundated with requests to get into all of our mobile home parks spread out through the States. So we know that there's a line out the door that's willing to get in there and do an RTO contract. We'd rather have that. And how difficult is it to buy a mobile home to move in? How difficult is it for a tenant to do that? Both a tenant or how many mobile home manufacturers are there out there? Oh, I don't know. Typically, we never buy from manufacturers because of where we're located. We're typically in the Midwest. So we always have to find used mobile homes because a, a brand new mobile home will cost about anywhere in the low six figures, about like a hundred to 120,000. So that really is a lot more feasible for really high lot rents, like in Southern California or in like coastal towns of Florida. So where we operate, we just can't afford, it's not feasible for us. Pasha, what kind of returns are you getting on mobile home investments? On park investments, if I'm buying a park myself, I'm north of the 25% IRRs and I'm always looking at double digit cash on cash. Is there a typical hold period? For me, I always want to hold as long as I can. Obviously, I will swim with the market however it it comes my way. But for me, the name of the game is to buy good real estate, let it pay for itself, and let time do the work. I don't want to sell. Yeah. What are the biggest mistakes that people make in mobile home park investing? There's two. I think one is the mistake of going in and thinking that you're just going to raise the rents by 50%, that can get you into a lot of trouble. So when whenever we underwrite a deal, 
we're looking at about a $35 rental increase where I think some operators will go in there and just say, oh, well, market rents could get pushed up from 300 base lot rent to like 450. So we're going to go do that in year one. You can get in a lot of trouble and you're going to piss off a lot of tenants. And secondly, I don't know, in my opinion, I just want to be able to sleep with myself at night because of that. You're just killing a tenant base that's already struggling. And then secondly is underestimating how big of a value add component when it comes to infills can be, it's quite painful. So if you go buy a value add mobile home park, really understand that it is tough market out there to get mobile homes onto your park. Where do you get them from? Brokers out there. That will bring in mobile homes? Yeah. They will find and source mobile homes. We are finding a lot of luck with FEMA homes that are essentially abandoned from FEMA. But there are brokers out there. That's all they do is they try to go locate mobile homes. They try to buy them and then sell them to people like ourselves. Good to know. I didn't know that was out there. Mm -hmm. Pasha, earlier you talked about pivoting away from multifamily because of the compressed cap rates. When the whole world finds out that mobile home park investing is awesome, cap rates get compressed. What are you going to pivot into next? I don't know. I'm always going to keep my eyes and ears open for everything. I think RV parks are going to, are some high yielding properties right now. Just something I'm keeping a very slight pulse on. But for me, I'll get to that decision when I'm there. Right now, I'm still seeing a lot of fruitful yields to say in mobile home parks, and I'll keep attacking it. Until then, I'm not sure. So it might be development of low-income communities. It might be RV parks. I'm not 100% sure. It might even be tiny homes. And imagine in three to five years from now, technology might make it feasible so that container parks are a lot easier and better to build. So you might be able to serve a low-income community. So we'll pivot however we need to, but we are experts in mobile homes and we continue to always keep buying. With Evo Capital, do you guys raise investor capital? Yeah, we just started to, just recently. What's the return to investors projected? We do it on a 10-year sales scenario, and we're looking at about north of 20% IRRs. We're about a 22 to 23%. Us real estate guys and girls know mobile home parks are cash cows. Do you have a hard time explaining that to investors, educating them? Yeah. You know what I actually love? I actually love educating people on mobile home parks because some people, there's still a stigma. Anyone who's listening to your show, they're probably somewhat educated. They understand the power of real estate, the power of cash flows. But people who've never invested in real estate, who've never really had a big interest in learning all the ins and outs of it, they're quite surprised on the model of mobile home parks. They're quite surprised on the cash cows. So I love the educational piece. And I actually make it a point to get on investor calls one-on-one and kind of go over what's happening, what we're doing and how we found it. Do you get the, why would I invest in mobile home parks? What if there's a windstorm or a tornado? That's the question I get asked the most. Yeah. 100%. What's your answer? <laughs> I say, for example, the last property that we bought was in Huntsville, Alabama. And I just let them know that the last tornado that happened in Huntsville, Alabama was 1989. So yes, if everything does happen, we are insured to have two years of loss of income, then it is our job to go and infill. And that is worst case scenario if the tornado takes out everything. But at the end of the day, I just say, I can't go buy properties if I always think worst case scenario. And if you are afraid of that, you probably shouldn't invest. But what I will say is that if you never invest, you're never going to really get ahead or you never really grow your money. And then that slightly changes depending on my relationship with a the person. There's always municipal bonds for certain people. Yeah, there you go. 
And I've met a lot of investors out there who are always thinking about worst case scenario. And if you invest on that worst case scenario, you're just never going to invest. I have a lot of people say, well, aren't you worried about recession? Aren't you worried about this? I said, yes, I am. But there's always good buying opportunities at any point in the market. You just have to always buy right. Yeah. And build those what if scenarios into your model. Yeah. See if you could stress test it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Pasha, what is your best real estate investing advice ever? (laughs) Just get out there and do it. Really protect your downside. I think when I first got into the business of investing as an LP, I would say, or even my own, I got enamored with the big flashy projects. And I find that the more boring I get, the more non-sexy I get, the bigger cash flows and the bigger yields I get. And then one thing I have to stress to people, just have to stress the best advice I ever got is get rich slow. Don't ever go for a shiny object. Don't ever try to get the hundred X or get rich slow, build wealth the right way. And you will get rich. Great advice. Pasha, are you ready for the best ever lightning round? Let's go. Let's go. Pasha, what's the best ever book you recently read? I always reread Think and Grow Rich. I read that every year. It's a staple of my life. So I just reread it. It is absolutely a game changer for me. And this year, what was your biggest takeaway? It's always and comes down to my manifestation of thinking differently. I love that book because you really can think what you become. And then once you start to change your goals, at least in my opinion, for me personally, once I start writing down my goals every day and I think bigger, it forces me to become a different person, which forces me to make different decisions to get those results. I love it. Pasha, what's the best ever way you like to give back? Oh man, it's my community. Absolutely hands down. So my wife and I, we do a lot of fundraising. We do a lot of charity events, but for me, it's really educational. Financial literacy is becoming something that I'm really starting to be very fond of. So having those conversations with my group of friends and normalizing conversations around money and normalizing conversations about retirement accounts and compound interest and all that, it is my absolute favorite way to give back. And I would imagine you have this conversation with all aspects of life, people that are different wealth levels. Oh yeah, absolutely. Everyone has to start somewhere. I've been broke so many times in my life. Everyone starts somewhere. And it's not just financial, it is health. You have to think of health the same way you think as wealth, because whatever you do today is going to pay dividends when you're older. So I go to a cold plunge every single day. It's not fun, but I do it every morning because I know later on in my latter parts of my life, I'm going to be really happy that I did that. Good for you. I've got a lot of high net worth friends that have spent so much time and energy on whatever their craft is, but they don't have financial literacy. Yeah. Have you encountered that a lot? I have. As I have more and more conversations, I'll say this is quite interesting. I was having a conversation with my friend the other day, and I'm realizing as my network grows and my net worth grows and whatnot, I'm having different conversations. Is I used to put everyone on a pedestal, maybe probably because of my poker background. I don't have a college degree. And we're all just trying to figure it out. Everyone's trying to figure out. Even if you're uber successful, we're all just trying to figure it out. We're all trying to learn together. We're all trying to get better. And to normalize these kind of conversations and don't be afraid to ask those questions with people. Great advice. Pasha, how can the best ever listeners reach out to you? I think I'm most active at just Pasha Sfandiari on Twitter. And then also you can go to my website, www.evocapital.net. That's a really great way to get hold of me or LinkedIn, Pasha Sfandiari. And it's Evoke with a K. That's correct. Got it. Okay. Awesome, Pasha. I got to thank you for your time today. 
dropping out of college, being a poker player for five years, I'm sure using a lot of skills that you've learned over those five years to get to where you are today, mobile homes, motels, multifamily. Congratulations on all of your success and thank you for sharing your time with us. Hey man, thanks for having me. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Best ever listeners, thank you so much for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a five-star review. Share the podcast with someone you think can benefit from it. Also follow, subscribe, and have a best ever day.